Father God, thank you for gathering us today. Thank you for gathering us in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the full assurance that he really has completed that purpose for which he came, uh, namely to die for the sins of the world, to bear the full punishment for them, and then to be buried and then uh, gloriously raised from the dead, proving that he had completed that uh, special work for which he was sent. So, Father, uh, thank you so much that uh, we have the full assurance of his completed work today. Uh, it's been revealed, and uh, we've taken you at your word regarding these things that are so important. Thanks uh, for each one who's gathered together with us this morning and for working the details of that out. Uh, thank you that some uh, uh, were able to join with us who have not been with us before, uh, and you've worked out many details uh, to accomplish that this morning. Our Father, our nation is in such a state of uh, uh, disarray, uh, division, even hatred uh, expressed so openly uh, against one group or another. And Father, I just uh, pray that the enemy would be defeated in whatever uh, realm he operates there, and that our people would be drawn to you, Father. Father, I pray that our president would uh, be given special uh, abilities and the right words as he communicates to the nation in just a couple of days now uh, what he sees our current uh, status to be and uh, what the issues are that this nation faces and how they might be addressed. Father, I just pray that you would encourage him at this time in a special way. We continue to pray for his safety and those of, and that of those that uh, support that which is right and just and true. Father, may they be uh, enabled to accomplish this great purpose, and may they be successful in that. Father, we pray that the evil ones would be destroyed wherever they're found in our governments. So, Father, we look forward now to this word that's set before us. It's such a precious word. I pray, Father, that you would lay it on our hearts, that we might never forget it. And we would ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, continuing today, remember, um, last time we considered how there's three different kinds of fullness, kind of three different aspects of fullness that have been provided and how Paul was right in the middle of that provision and how last time it was given to Paul to sort of fill full or complete the word of God and how that related to the revelation of the mystery and uh, how the mystery when added to prophecy of course provides the fullness, it provides the completeness of the word of God given to us. And Paul writes about that in Colossians 1. I'll say a little bit more about it in a moment. But um, let's start out by reading the, the, the special verses here for today. Uh, our main emphasis at the beginning, at least, is on Colossians chapter 1, uh, where we looked also last time. But let's uh, start here, and you'll... Uh, 
If you were here with us, you'll certainly uh, be blessed as we read this again. And uh, we'll, then we'll take off from that to continue with our uh, emphasis today, which will be on that second of the three different dimensions of the fullness of Christ that's been given to us. Um, so, Lisa, would you start out then, please, by reading for us Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. Okay. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto, unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Thank you, Lisa. Very, very good. Okay, and Patty, would you please continue? Uh, with verses 24 through 29. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect, in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Okay, thank you. That's uh, great. What a, what a passage of scripture. I, I, I think uh, we should have this in mind. Whether you've memorized it or not, we should have this truth in mind uh, and never forget it. And uh, of course, the Lord will often then be able to remind us of it if it's in our minds and in our hearts written there securely. Okay, so let's see, just by way of quick review, uh, two meetings back, we looked at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, uh, and that's where the apostle says, uh, Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm chief. And, and then he says, Nevertheless, for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first... Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. <laughs> so uh, we, we were focusing in on a couple of the words found there since they're so significant and maybe for you, perhaps if you've never thought of it before, uh, just kind of uh, amazing, really. 
that this man would be set forth in this way. I mean, after all, uh, he was the one who took responsibility for the stoning of Stephen. He was the official representative of the Sanhedrin, the ruling group within Israel that was behind the uh, persecution of those who had believed what message had been preached before there, right? Starting on the day of Pentecost with Peter and the others, and then finally Stephen. So it says there in First Timothy that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul says he was chief, uh, and as I pointed out to you, it's the same word translated first a little later. It uh, doesn't mean the greatest sinner who ever lived. It means the first of a long sinners of those, uh, a long series, the first of a series of those saved by grace, which is just exactly what he's talking about there, right? Uh, so uh, he showed forth uh, there through his salvation, rather Christ set him forth as an example, right? Uh, as a pattern, it says, right? of those that would afterwards believe, uh, those who would, through the great long-suffering of God, uh, who would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. That's what verse 16 is all about, right? So Paul is an example of, of uh, how we're saved, and also an example of um, even more, as uh, we are now learning, and we touched on that a little last time, but certainly today it will be our main focus, um, the additional dimension of Paul's um, <laughs> example, his example for us, right? Um, now, as I said, there are three, three, three parts, three dimensions to the fullness uh, in Christ that, that was uh, displayed through Paul. Right, the first was in the completion of the word of God. I uh, dwelt specifically on that last time. Uh, then there's the fullness, and this is for today, the fullness of Christ's suffering given to Paul for our example. Okay, the fullness of Christ's suffering given to Paul for example. You may find those words to be shocking and uh, how could it possibly be true, uh, as I'm going to show you that it is. But uh, please withhold your judgment. <laughs> please bear with me. Uh, the subject we deal with today is uh, one that is nearly never addressed. Uh, to the great disgrace uh, of believers living today, because it's such a major emphasis in Paul's letters to to ignore it is to miss out on so so much. But um, you may not have uh, been exposed to this before. I may have read the words many times, maybe just didn't stop to consider them uh, enough or maybe just passed them by. But uh, we'll certainly be focusing uh, us all today in on this, the fullness of Christ's suffering given to Paul for our example. And then next time, we'll be looking at the empowering side of this, how how the fullness of Christ's supply, supply as provision, was given to us for our empowering. Okay, so that's next time, Lord willing. Um, okay, so 
It was given to Paul to fulfill the word of God. That means to add the mystery. See, the mystery had been kept secret. It had not been revealed previously, Paul says. So not until Paul was it revealed. And there are many dimensions to the mystery. We've looked at this before here uh, in our meetings. So uh, we won't say that much about it today. Just that uh, one aspect that we'll have to look at today, because it's right in the center of everything that Paul writes about his example for believers in suffering, his example in suffering. Okay, so we have to look at that today. Uh, but but this, this revelation of the mystery with all of its dimensions that was given to Paul, and uh, we're going to see more, much more about that as we proceed this morning. So when you add the mystery, which hadn't been revealed before, but now is, right, to what had already been revealed, really from the beginning, which was called the prophecy, right? Uh, then you have the completed uh, revelation of God to man. It is the dispensation of the grace of God and all of its details that constitute the mystery revelation or the sacred secret. Okay. Um, now, um, that speaks of the dispensation. I, I mentioned last time what a dispensation is, very simply. A dispensation is the rule or the principles according to which God is working in his people primarily. It has, it has implications for the world too, but, but really the, the, the special emphasis is on how God's working in and through his people. That's what a dispensation is that so many have banished that word from the vocabulary that it's taken out of the translations and the paraphrases now uh, is a great disgrace. I could say a lot more about it, but we'll pass that by for now. The dispensation uh, is the principles upon which God is working now. In other words, what is God doing? What is God doing today? And if we don't understand what he's doing in the dispensation of grace, then we'll be very confused about what God is doing. We'll also be very confused about our part in that. If you do not know what God is doing, you're very likely to try to do yourself what only he can do. And that's, in fact, where so many are today. And we ourselves, of course, as we uh, take our heart and mind off of uh, the working of God under the abundant provision of grace, right? Uh, so we must take heed to the Pauline teaching and not ignore it, as is so common. Now, that brings us to a very practical uh, thing uh, we looked at uh, quickly last time. And uh, that's okay, because next time we're going to be refocused on that particular point. And it's what we find here in these last couple of verses in Colossians chapter 1. And that's where we see what the blessing of all of this is. So God calls out Paul. He sends him forth. He, he fulfills the word, completes the word through him. Uh, the, and he reveals the, 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 that which had never been revealed before and how he's specifically working today under grace, right? And that provides a tremendous blessing for those who are saved. And that's what Paul it refers to here right in these last three verses in Colossians 1, where he says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory. You see, 
Paul has to he has to use extra words to properly characterize how great we have been blessed today. Okay, the riches of the glory of this mystery. So the mystery is great. It has many dimensions. Paul now is going to highlight what is at the very peak of the whole thing, right? The very riches or all the wealth of the glory of this sacred secret among the Gentiles. He says it's simply this. This is profound, if only we would take this to heart. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay, so every believer today possesses the Lord Jesus Christ. This is also not often taught. The, the possession of the Holy Spirit is taught, right, in many churches and groups, but that Christ himself dwells in us personally, that is not often taught, yet that's exactly what Paul is writing about here, and we'll see a lot more about that today as we continue. Notice that he says he preaches that Christ. He says, I preach. Whom we preach? Who does he preach? Christ? Well, more. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he preaches it with all solemnity and force. He says, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that he may present every man perfect or, or uh, complete in Christ Jesus. And then he adds this amazing statement. Verse 29 should stand out. Make a mark on it. Do something. Don't ever forget verse 29 here, because using five different words for work, five different Greek words for work, he describes how great the, the working of God's power in and through him is. Okay, he says, whereunto, in other words, with reference to the preaching of the mystery, with reference to the preaching boldly of the riches of the glory of the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory, he says, whereunto I labor, striving, that's the second word, according to his working, that's the third word, which worketh, the fourth word, in me mightily, the fifth word. Five different Greek words to cover all the aspects of how great God's working through Christ was in him. Why? That he might be our example. Okay, do you have that? I hope you, you have that. That is uh, something that can change your life. You take that to heart, right? So do we have hope of glory? Absolutely. Every one of us. And it's maybe greater than you ever considered it to be, right? Uh, perhaps much greater is the fact of it. Christ in us Gentiles, the hope of glory. The Jews were not promised this, uh, but here we find out that Gentiles uh, can and do receive it through simple faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and his completed work. Okay, well, our outline today then, considering that our subject is the fullness of the sufferings of Christ given to Paul for our example, okay, uh, our outline is very simple. There are just two points to this. First of all, Paul's teaching is clear that he, this is Paul we're talking about, fulfilled, we'll have to try to understand what this means, 
fulfilled the sufferings of Christ in his own body. Now, that may be shocking to you. How in the world could any man ever do that, right? And we're going to look into it, find out what Paul has written. Please bear with me on this, okay? Don't just uh, sort of reject this idea as sort of impossible. If Paul reveals it, it's not only possible, but it's a reality, okay? So Paul's teaching is clear that he fulfilled the sufferings of Christ in his own body. Now, clearly that's not talking about the sufferings of Christ in the atonement. No, there's nothing to do with that, no. No man can suffer in any way for the sins of another person. That is simply not what Paul is writing about here. What he is writing about is, however, not only very different from that, but very critical for our understanding. So the first point, Paul's teaching is clear, and you'll see how clear in just a moment, uh, that he personally fulfilled the sufferings of Christ in his own body. And the second point, Paul's example is powerful. His example, therefore, of that is powerful, as we then are enabled to suffer as Paul did. Okay, boy, this is, if this doesn't open your mind to a whole realm in which God is working under grace, then nothing can, nothing can, right? Let's just jump into it quickly and see what he has written. Right, we have to look at a number of verses to see this, really not that many considering, but I'm not giving them all to you. There are many, many more, but I'm only picking uh, those that I, I, I we have time to look at today. Okay, so I'm going to read again now these verses that Lisa just read. <clears throat> okay, uh, only we're going to add one verse to what she read. And we're going to start a little later than where she started, but beginning in verse 21 of Colossians 1. And you, and you, that's these Colossians, these are Gentile believers. Paul's never visited this church, it seems. He's only heard of them. Others visited and shared the grace of God with them, and they believed and were saved. And so they constitute the assembly of believers there, right, in Colossae. So Paul writes to them, and you that were sometime or once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight if he continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, and now the key statement, verse 24, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh, for his body's sake, which is the church. Now, I'm sure you've read this many times, maybe didn't stop to consider, what does this mean, right? We must seek to understand what it means so that the Holy Spirit may teach us, all right? Paul uh, is revealing it to us, and, and if you don't go to the Pauline letters to learn this, you're not going to learn it, uh, because this is where it's written, okay? Uh, 
and you can see how important it is. Uh, clearly, it's, it has to be of great significance for Paul to write anything like this, right? Uh, sets this apart as sort of at the very pinnacle, right? Later, he'll say more that, in fact, it's the riches of the glory, right? <laughs> of his revelation, right? Um, it's that riches of the glory of his revelation of the fullness of his grace that underscores and makes possible what he's writing about right here. In fact, that he can suffer these things. Okay. Now, from what's written, I just read the verses, but from what is is written there, we have to conclude a couple of things. Uh, first of all, um, one thing is that he's saying this is a fact. Okay. He's saying, he's test, this is Paul's testimony. Okay. He's not making this up. He's not saying, well, gee, I wish this, this could be true somehow. No, he's saying this is true. And I testify of it and I rejoice in it. And no one can stop me from my rejoicing. He says that in another place, right? <laughs> this, Paul says, this is where I stand. Remember Luther, he, he put the 95 theses on the church door, right? And he says, uh, there they are, right? And then when they called them before the council, and this was the great council. This was basically, it was the council of the Inquisition, really, you know. They call him before the great council and uh, they say, will you recant? And he says, I cannot what I have written. Uh, I cannot recant. Here I stand. Okay. That changed Europe, that confession, right? That so many then opened the word for the first time to find out what it really says, right? And Paul had put it in the 95 Theses, right? So here is the Apostle Paul confessing. And he says, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. He says, we're in the process of this. We're not finished yet, right? Paul would be finished when he was martyred. Uh, we're not there yet. Um, although Colossians was written right at the very end, it seems, of Paul's imprisonment. Okay, so uh, it wasn't probably that much later that he was martyred. We're not really sure on that timeline. But in any case, he makes a statement of fact. Okay, this is history. Um, secondly, he's, he writes that his suffering um, is it's part of this fullness I mentioned, right? You see, he used that word there. And fill up. That's the same Greek word he uses later concerning the word that was completed. Now, here he's saying there's a certain kind of suffering that's being completed through me, right? And he says it, it is in some sense, as we'll explain in a moment what that is, but in some sense, it is the afflictions of Christ he's he's talking about here that he is sharing in. Okay, he's filling up that which is behind or that which still lacks concerning the afflictions of Christ in Paul's flesh, okay? And then he says it's for the sake of his body. Well, we already know it's for the sake of the Lord. He said that, right? But here he says it's for the sake of his body too, right? He should understand that's easily since he's already written that he's a pattern, okay? He's a pattern 
for believers today, all believers today, to look at. In other words, there's a revelation occurring here. In his words, yes, but even more than that, in what he is suffering for the sake of Christ's body, right? And he says that suffering relates to Christ himself and his own suffering. That's what verse 24 says. There's no way to avoid that implication. Okay, so um, that leads us to the question then, how? In what way were the sufferings of Paul the sufferings of Christ, right? We have to be able to answer the question or we'll be in total confusion over what Paul is writing here. Well, I would submit to you that the key to understanding the whole thing is actually really simple. And it has to do with an analogy that Paul writes about in several places in his letters. And that is relating to the head and the body. Okay. The analogy of the body gives us the key to all of this. Okay. The body has a head and the head has a body. Okay. And the two are intimately connected. More intimately than we can understand. All right. Well, science knows a lot, but it doesn't know what it needs to know. Right. Uh, what it could know. God gave the full revelation, <laughs> you know, physically, just how this all works and how the mind and so forth and the heart uh, are connected to the body and to each individual member of the body so that there is no division between them. All right. Um, okay. So Paul writes about it in First Corinthians 12. I'm sure you remember these words. I'll just quickly read them for you. Uh, Paul is exhorting the members of the body of Christ in Corinth, and he says, there should be no schism or division in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another, and whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular, okay? So every believer today is a member of this heavenly organism. Christ is not here on the earth physically, right? He's there in heaven at the right hand of God, okay? Spiritually, he's certainly here. We just read about how he's, in fact, in every one of us, right? So he's represented right here, and there's a lot there in that teaching that we don't have time to look at today more next week, Lord willing. But uh, <clears throat> he says that there's this 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 uh, intimate connection that's been established between Christ and the members of the body who are the believers. All the believers today are members of that heavenly body. Christ is the head. We are the members. Now, that's an exalted and wonderful truth to know, but think what all the implications of that might be. Does it make a difference to know this, that somehow we're so closely connected to the Lord? Well, actually, Paul writes much about it, and I'm just going to, and in the revelation that God gives through the Apostle Paul, this is in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. 
Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Okay, so Christ is connected to the body, right? This this verse 15 says that as a result of that, he is tested through his connection to us, you see, okay? He's so intimately associated with us that he feels what we feel. He knows intimately what we feel. And if we suffer, he suffers, okay? That's important to know. He's not only talking there about Christ bearing our sins in the atonement. He's talking about now, okay? Otherwise, the the exhortation doesn't make any sense to come boldly to the throne of grace now to receive help now in time of need, right? He has to know now exactly, and that's what these verses say. He knows now exactly what you're feeling and how you're suffering. And he's bearing that today, okay? He knows it intimately. That's a profound thing to know. Paul reveals it right there, okay? So that's that's uh, then uh, necessary to understand. Now, if Paul could suffer together with Christ in this regard, as he says it was his privilege to do so, in fact, it wasn't just his privilege, he was called into that suffering. We saw that last time. We, in the time before, we read a couple of verses about that. I'll read another one of those now. Um, so if that's true, then because of this intimate connection between Christ and the members of the body, there's this suffering that goes back and forth, right? So he shares in ours. Does it not make sense then? that we might share in his. You see how simple this becomes. And that leads us to our second point here. Paul's example is powerful as we are also enabled to suffer as Paul did. Now, you might think, and surely, I mean, I've I've certainly thought about this uh, quite a lot, that somehow Paul would be exalted in a special way as the great apostle, right? So he, perhaps he could suffer things that we never could uh, ourselves enter into because of who he is, because of apostolic authority, and because of uh, his apostolic example. Not true. And Paul's going to tell us that so clearly. Let's look to see what he says. Uh, in Acts chapter 9, verse 16, and this is the verse we read before, uh, Christ himself, the resurrected, glorified Lord, makes it clear, as he spoke to Ananias concerning this man Saul, who had just been saved, okay? Uh, He said, I will show him how great things he must suffer for my sake. So Paul is called into the realm of this suffering. Suffering for the sake of the Lord. It's a special kind of suffering, right? And let's read about it now. Uh, So that's true of Paul. And and Paul writes about it in 2 Corinthians 4. 
and I'm going to ask um, uh, Lewis to read it. You may have thought this was only about Paul and couldn't possibly be true of anybody else, any other member of the body, but we'll see that that's not true. Uh, it's true of us, too, if we would enter into it. Uh, Lewis, please read Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Christ Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which are always delivered unto death, for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So when then death worketh in us, but life in you. Thank you, Lewis. Okay, so <clears throat> you, you see Paul is very bold indeed, uh, extremely bold. Uh, here he is suffering all kinds of things in this life, right? Uh, and he dares to say that he's bearing in his body the dying of the Lord Jesus. How can Paul say this? I mean, doesn't Paul consider this to be blasphemous? No. Why not? Well, because of the nature of the body of Christ, you see, and the intimate connection between the head and the members. Okay? The suffering goes back and forth, in other words, because of the intimate connection between the head and the members. Okay? Notice he uses these strong and sort of unlimited terms, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. But you see the benefit that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. We which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. Why? That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh, right? That's because... Only through death can resurrection be manifested, okay? So, the resurrection quality of life that we're privileged to enjoy comes through this process in our experience. So, that's what Paul is talking about here. Now, again, you might think, well, only Paul, only Paul could uh, experience such a thing. I mean, he was caught up into the third heavens, right? He saw Christ, uh, the ascended Christ face to face. I mean, surely uh, he was enabled in special ways that were not. Not so. Not so. Let's just see about that. Okay. Let's look to Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. Patty, are you ready to read that for us? Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. Find out whether we, uh, <laughs> you might consider yourself to be a, I was, I nearly said poor souls. Well, uh, far from true. We're not poor souls at all. Or how does God consider us? Well, let's see. Patty, chapter 1, verse 29 of Philippians. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Okay, so that means Christ himself will be benefited because of this relationship, right, that we have, okay? Uh, so maybe this is going to enable you. I should, certainly hope it will start to open your eyes to see that we individually, as members of the body, have a 
have been brought into such an intimate relationship with the Lord that we even could be said to suffer for his sake. Amazing, isn't it? Glorious. Not only Paul, but also us. So this is the death to life principle, right? And uh, <laughs> you remember back in Luke 24, and I'm not going to go back to that now, but Christ said, well, you didn't realize that I had to go through death in order to enter into glory, right? <clears throat> so the, the seed has to be planted in order to bring forth new life, right? It's a basic principle here that is being uh, communicated in, the, in these terms, right? So verse 12, uh, back there uh, that we looked at in Second um, Corinthians 4, says, Death worketh in us, but life in you. Okay, so see, Paul is suffering along with Christ and his suffering, sharing in it, right? So that we may be then benefited as well. It's for our sake too, right? And the life may be communicated. So because of his example and has how we are taking it as it is, right? Taking God and his word in this, all right? Looking to Paul as the pattern, okay? There's power in this. This is where the power is. Uh, as this revelation is written then on our hearts. Okay, so there we are. Now, we're not done. Romans chapter 8, verse 36. I'll just read it for you. And, and these words will certainly uh, strike home, since uh, I'm sure they're well known to all of you. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed. For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Okay, we, Paul says, but again, you may say, well, Paul, okay, for him, that might make sense, but not for me. Well, let's just find out otherwise. The clearest statement of all we'll end with today, and that's in Second Corinthians chapter 1. At least I'd like you to read that for us, Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Okay. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, under the church of God, which is at, Cor which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in all Achaia, Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing 
that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. You see how clear it is. Paul reveals everything we need to know. And he does it very clearly. So are we also involved in the same suffering that Paul was? He says here, if you receive this, you'll receive the blessing, right? You'll receive the consolation. You'll be comforted the way I've been, right? He says, I'm your example in this. Verse 5, as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ, okay? And whether we be afflicted, this is Paul writing about himself, okay? It is for your consolation, right? And salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. So are you involved? Am I involved? Absolutely. Whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation. And, so, and the, our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as you are partakers of the same sufferings, so shall you be also of the consolation. Crystal clear. Okay. Well, this isn't being taught today because so many turn away from Paul. Instead, they talk of signs, wonders, miracles, voices from heaven, angels speaking, Christ himself giving them special messages. That's not what Paul is writing about here at all. What he's writing about here is far more important and profound than that could ever be, right? We're talking here about the intimate connection between the believer and Christ himself. It's so intimate we as members of the body, he as head, that the suffering can even go both ways. And when it does, the comfort as well. Okay? So you and I, whatever our circumstances may be in life, may indeed find out that his working under grace is all sufficient. Right? Because he has drawn us into such a close connection with himself. And that will never be broken. It cannot be broken. It's open and available for you and me to experience the blessings of it, though. But we may turn aside under legalism or in some other way, uh, miss the blessings. But isn't your heart being tugged by these words? I mean, doesn't it? Don't these words have power? I'll never forget the day that these verses started to pull on my heart. And it changed me forever. Okay. So may his comfort abound in us as we by faith alone enter into the knowledge of his sufferings. That's our theme today. And I pray that it'll be your theme forevermore. It hasn't already been. And may God be glorified through all of this. Really, what we have received through Christ and his completed work and then his ongoing pouring out of grace into our hearts is inestimable. I mean, human words can hardly be used. I mean, Paul reemphasizes over and over these things, as you can see here in these verses, right? He restates it time and time again, that we may not miss the point he's making. The body of Christ, by the way, is never revealed by anyone but Paul. Nobody else ever mentions the body of Christ. 
Paul reveals that precious truth, and it's at the very heart of the revelation of the mystery. For the Gentiles, that's us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. We're sharing in his life. Now, next time, Lord willing, we're going to look at how the empowering works. Christ in us, the hope of glory, and the empowering, how it works. Day by day and hour by hour, it's the most precious teaching. We didn't look at it yet. I didn't go to those verses yet. We'll save them for next time. Praise the Lord. Any questions or comments before we go to the Lord in prayer today? Patty has a, an arm, a hand up. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just thinking about that verse that we read in first in, in uh, Colossians mm-hmm. one, and it says that you know Christ in you, the hope of glory, mm-hmm. and this is the risen and ascended, the resurrected Christ. Yes, He dwells in us. Yes, so we're His living breathing yes. body while he leaves us here in this earthly body, in the earthly tent really, this physical body um, we are we, we're the dwelling place of Christ himself on the earth Christ in you, the hope of glory Amen. so this um, like in Romans it talks about um, newness of life Yes. That we would walk in newness of life. Yes. That's the newness of life that comes from Christ in you. Yes, exactly. The living Christ mm-hmm. dwells in each believer. Amen. And he directs us as our head. Yes. And he reveals himself through his word. Yes. Yeah, it's most precious, isn't it? I mean, so, I mean newness of life, really. Yes, well. And it's the resurrection life. Well, look at that next time. Um, yeah, uh, and we're not saying, of course, that we we are enabled to be exactly Paul, right? It's or just Christ. That, or Christ, absolutely. It's just that uh, uh, God has set forth this hierarchy here, and uh, he's blessed us with this flow from heaven into mm-hmm. our hearts that is a precious and constant reality, mm-hmm. if only we would be willing, right, to leave the cares of earth behind and... And uh, the law, which will short-circuit the flow of grace, right? Mm-hmm. And, and to just boldly uh, go where, <laughs> where, where where Paul went, you know, with the empowering giving to him, giving to him. Any other comments or, or questions? Okay, any other questions before we move ahead in prayer? I do, Jim. Um, I, I really enjoyed the teaching today, and you are so right in saying that these things are not being taught in our local churches, and it's it's such a shame because it's it's a uh, it's so needed for us to understand. Um, I wanted to ask about Colossians one um, twenty three. Yes. It says, if ye continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard, um, what happens to those that that have been moved away from the hope of the gospel? Um, 
that they have heard the gospel, but they have been moved away and been drawn back into the law or drawn back into works or drawn away from the truth to follow after signs and wonders. Mm -hmm. And they're looking for those things. Um, Me and my family have been in those places in the past 25 years before we came to a full knowledge of the revelation of Christ um, and learning to rightly divide the scriptures. We were in that place. Um, What happens to those people who have been moved away from the hope of the gospel, and they think that they're doing the right thing, but they're actually living out in another dispensation and doing things that are that God is not doing today. Well, I, I, th- I mean, it's a big question, but the uh, main part of my answer would, would simply be this. Uh, according to what Paul reveals, one cannot lose one's salvation. Okay, so once you are saved you're eternally saved okay mm-hmm. that does not mean there won't be uh at the judgment seat of christ revelation of your life basically and uh, at that time all those things that have compromised <laughs> grace will be removed right they'll be just eliminated they'll be burned up he says right okay right uh, i, I see don't that. I don't believe it, it's a time of our suffering. It is a time of loss. He says you will suffer uh, loss at that time, right? But but uh, it's it's a moment. It's an instantaneous sort of thing, or so he seems to reveal. So it's just that now. Now on the other side of it, there are blessings for eternity on the other side of it. Okay, so if if you are uh, reveling, you know, enjoying the riches of God's grace. Certainly there are going to be eternal consequences of that because those uh, things are not going to be burned up at the judgment seat of Christ, but they're just going to continue on. I mean, Paul writes about even crowns, right? Mm -hmm. uh, For the one who, uh, who is just desiring and just rejoicing in in the soon coming of the Lord, there will be a crown of glory, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for all those, he says, who have that hope, right? Okay, so if, if someone gives up that hope, and so they're they're thinking, oh, well, we're going to have to suffer this or that, and all these things will happen. They've given up the hope of the rapture and gone back into some other kind of religious system. Uh, they'll be losing much, but... but uh, and for those that have not, who've been constant, and that's why it says, I think, if here, okay? I see, okay. That, yeah. that, that we, we will then benefit for all eternity by this uh, special blessing and its consequence. There are consequences for how we live, not only right. for this life, but for the future, not the consequence of heaven or hell, because all believers will be in heaven uh, with Christ. But they're not all going to be exactly the same. And I like to think of it maybe as how bright we shine. I mean, this is just an analogy. Everyone in every member of the body of Christ in heaven's glory is going to to be bright. They're going to be shining. That just means they're reflecting the glory of the Lord, right? Not their own glory, but the glory of the Lord. And so some are going to shine brightly, more brightly than others. I mean, what can I say? If that were not the case, these, many of these exhortations of the Apostle Paul 
would would certainly have no meaning or relevance, right? That is a great explanation, Jim. Thank you, and thank you so much for the teaching, too. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, then. Father God, thank you for gathering us today and uh, for the message, the teaching that Paul has given to us here in the, these several verses that uh, are so uh, focused on our connection with you and with our Lord Jesus, which is real, it is spiritual and real, and it is uh, powerful. It's transforming, and it does transform our lives when we come to know it and to value uh, this great work that you have uh, for us uh, and in us, in us, Father. Thank you for transforming us by the power of grace. Thank you that when we didn't even know these verses, you were nevertheless working. Thank you that uh, we now can see the fullness of that work and the glory of it. And, uh, Father, I pray that we would take these scriptures to heart and that we might find them transforming day by day and hour by hour. And for our dear friends, Father, that suffer so greatly uh, in this life, let us uh, all know, especially them, that uh, the sufferings of this present time are nothing to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. So, Father, we rejoice in this confidence and in your precious word of truth. And uh, we just, uh, we feel strange saying it, but we would offer uh, our, our dear friends and brethren up to you, Father, for your work and ourselves to you, Father, for your great work still unfinished in us <laughs> as we continue on here looking for that uh, glorious uh, return of our Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps soon, perhaps today, Father. And we would thank you in Christ's name.